Welcome back to Broken Messenger. We are closing in on the seven-part series of the Churches of Revelations. Today, we are in episode six. If you have not yet listened to one through five, I highly suggest you pause this and start back at one, as each of these episodes flows into the next. This episode, we will look into the Church of Philadelphia, but before we do that, let's review Sardis. So was Sardis commended, convicted, or both? Jesus had nothing good to say about the Church of Sardis as a whole. This was the first of the seven churches to only be convicted. He did say that there was a few that had not soiled their clothes, but as a whole, he had no commending for them. During your self-evaluation, where did you see yourself? I think that given time, the Church of Pergamum would have become the Church of Sardis. Our life of ease makes it easy to fall asleep. We can continue to do the things we've always done, but eventually we forget why, and then we fall asleep doing the Lord's work. Even if we don't find ourselves in the Church of Sardis, it is for sure, at minimum, a stark reminder to repent and focus on the love of Jesus, to not forget what we've heard or give up what we've received. So let's go ahead and jump into the Church of Philadelphia, which, contrary to my daughter's belief, was not named after the city of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. When she told me this, I was like, uh, uh, or perhaps... Philadelphia, Pennsylvania was named after the ancient city of Philadelphia in the Bible? I could not help but laugh. She was so dead serious when she was trying to teach me something new. It was, it was too cute. But the actual history of Philadelphia is really kind of interesting. Atlas was an accomplished military commander, having led and won many battles. His brother was attacked and assumed dead while on his way back from visiting Rome. Atlas married his brother's widow, which was a common tradition back then, and upon marrying... Um, her, he became king of Pergamum. Later, his brother, in fact not dead, returns, and Atlas divorces the the widow and gives the power back to his brother. Gaining favor of the Romans, they actually offered to fight with him against his brother to overthrow him as king, but he declined. He loved his brother. When his brother did actually pass away, his nephew was too young to rule, and so he took over the kingdom. Atlas, with the help of a good friend, expanded his kingdom and founded the city of Philadelphia. The city was built in a frontier area as a gateway to the plateau of Asian Minor. They were kind of like the gatekeepers to that region, and they kept the barbarians out. And while the city of Philadelphia has roots tied to Pergamum, they did not have the same issues as Pergamum did. Jesus starts his letter to the Church of Philadelphia in verse 7 of chapter 3 in Revelations. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Holding the keys of David shows Jesus' authority to open and close the door. He has the key. He doesn't have to break down the door to get it open, nor does he have to use weighted furniture to keep the door closed. He has the power and the control to open and close the door. Some say that the open door is a symbolism for salvation. Think of the scripture that says, I stand at the door and knock. He wants us to open the door to our heart for him, but it is him who truly that gives the, the opportunity to open it. We can tell someone all day long about the gospel and how Jesus works in our life, but we cannot open the door to someone's heart. Likewise, some think that the closed door is a symbol for justice. Justice will come and no one can change that. I do not want my plans or my wills. So I try to use this scripture um, in, my, in my prayer. I'm not entirely that smart, but I am smart enough to know that his plan, whatever it is, 
is way better than I can come up with on my best day. So when I'm facing a decision, I pray for God to close the door to the things that are not his plan, to close them so no man can open them, and to open the door for the choices that are his plan and so that no man can close those doors. Because I do not want to randomly just try opening doors and take forever to succeed. I would much rather just trust him right from the beginning. So to the Church of Philadelphia, he is reminding them that he's got the authority and the control. And he goes on to say, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Again, here, Jesus is reaffirming his authority, but not only that, but also his compassion. He knows they are tired, but he has placed the door before them. He is acknowledging their strength to take a stand for God, but also acknowledging their physical limits. He goes on to mention a familiar phrase. I will make those who are from synagogues of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Remember Smyrna? They were also being persecuted and troubled by the synagogues of Satan. Smyrna was slandered by them. And while it doesn't specifically say what the Church of Philadelphia suffered at the hands of the so-called Jews, since he points out that they are liars, I don't think it's a far stretch to think that they too were slandered. Could you imagine how comforting it would be to hear him say that, to hear him say that I have loved you? The confirmation that you've done a good job. That's right up there with the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. He goes on to say, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. There are different, there's differing reliefs on what this phrase represents. I will present the theories and explain why I agree and don't agree, and it will be up to you to decide what you think. Some believe that this phrase, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, means that all the Christians will be spared from the great tribulation. If that were the case, why then doesn't he say that to all, the se all seven churches in Revelations? Also, if that were the case, why then, during the breaking of the seals in Revelations chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, it says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed, just as they had been. And then going on a little further into Revelations in chapter 7, we see a great multitude in white robes. And the elder asked John, These in the white robes, who are they and where did they come from? John replies, Sir, you know. And then in Revelations chapter 7, verse 14, the elder answers, These are they who come out of the gate of tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So if we let Scripture interpret Scripture, this phrase, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come into the whole world, how then could it apply to all believers not going through the great tribulation if this great multitude of believers in white robes came out of the tribulation? Another theory is that it refers to the entirety of the persecution of the church. And I suppose it could mean that, but the grammar leads me to believe that it's also incorrect. Because if it was from all the whole time span of Christian persecution, why then doesn't, does Jesus say to the church of Philadelphia that he will keep them from the hour of trial that is going to come? There are, there's already persecution of Christians going on at this point, but Jesus is referring to something that is going to take place. 
Finally, a third belief is that the Church of Philadelphia is going to go through a hard time, but they will remain strong through it and make it to the other side. I find this theory to be the most promising of the three, but it is not without its faults. If it was just referring to the trouble of the Church of Philadelphia was going to go through, why then does Jesus say that it will come unto the whole world? Also, we know that while the letter was written to the churches then, they apply and are a warning to all of us to even today. So I am much more inclined to think that it is just, and it's just my theory, it's not fact, it's not written in scripture, and I'm just using the context and balancing it with scripture. I'm not saying this is or isn't fact, and I'm not saying this is or isn't what it means. But the truth is, until we get to the other side, we won't have a full understanding. But we can, however, balance that phrase out with what Jesus says earlier in verse 8, I know that you have little strength. Yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. And then in verse 6, since you have kept my command to endure patiently. And re- and also, if we remember Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. So adding all those together, I think that Jesus is saying, I know how much you can handle, how much you can endure patiently, and also what will destroy you. I'm going to reward you with this because of your obedience and because I know your strength. This is a reminder to all of us that obey God, that he is a blessing in store for us. Sometimes that blessing is on this side of heaven. Sometimes that blessing is on the other side of heaven. But either way, God will bless obedience. Finally, he ends the letter, he ends the letter to the church of Philadelphia, starting in verse 11 of chapter 3 in Revelations. I am going soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of God in the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I know in previous episodes, I've talked about um, how salvation is not um, once saved, always saved kind of a thing. Um, Our reward in heaven is something that we can lay down. But also here in verse 11, he says, hold on to what you have so no one will take your crown. Jesus talks a lot about false teachers and other scriptures, but here he's not talking about them. The only thing in this letter that he's talked about was the synagogue of Satan and the self-claiming Jews. We are, it's very clear that we need to be careful of false teacher, and that's true. But something that's a little more clouded is bitterness and anger. They were likely being slandered. And they were commended for not denying God. But on the other extreme, if maybe perhaps given time, they would begin to grow angry, bitter, and then seek their own vengeance. Anger, even righteous anger, if not kept in check, kept in line with scripture, can take us down. When we begin to let bitterness fill our hearts, it takes up the space where Jesus is. And we have two options. We can follow the scripture in Ephesians 4.31 that says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice, which would then make room for Jesus if we got rid of those things. Or we could make room for all those negative things in our, ha- in our heart, thus leaving no room for Jesus. A bitter heart can be just as dangerous as a false teacher and leading us down a path we do not want to go. Jesus' antidote for that is to hold on to what you have. Hold on to the truth you have learned. Hold on to the love you have. Hold on to him, Jesus. So was the Church of Philadelphia commended, convicted, or both? How will this letter to the Church of Philadelphia impact our prayer life? 
How can we incorporate the doors that no one can open or shut in our faith and in our prayer life? And do you see the Church of Philadelphia as an encouragement for your own life or a challenge in your own life? Thank you for listening to this episode of Broken Messenger. We have one more of the Churches of Revelation to dig into, and we'll pick that one up next week. As we begin to end this series, I would like some feedback on how this series this series went. The format as the format of asking self-evaluation questions was it helpful or irrelevant? Do you like the multi-mini episodes, or would you have pr- rather preferred to hear them all at the same time? And finally, do you have anything that you want to explore more of, any topic that you would really like to dig in deeper? If you know me personally, you can send me a text or or give me a call, if you, um, or you can just let me know when you see me the next time. If you don't know me personally, but would like to provide the feedback, you can email me at brokenmessenger at yahoo.com. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Broken Messenger.